Thanks for joining us for this live edition of the Glossy Podcast. Today, I am hosting Jens Greed, the co-founder and co-creative director of denim-turned-lifestyle brand Frame. Um, I wanted to ask Jens about this kind of very ambitious um, plan that he had for 2020, he and his co-founder, Eric, how that plan has changed as everything else has changed and how the company is leaning into kind of what's working now. So Jens, thanks so much for being here and for making time for us. Thank you so much for having me. It's great. I love Glossy. I'm so happy you guys taking the time to speak to me. Tell me where you're calling from. I mean, the background looks spectacular. I am actually in my bedroom here in Bel Air in Los Angeles. Oh my gosh, amazing. Have you, you're based in Los Angeles usually, or is this a change of scene? No, this is where I live now. And we're, of course, all working from home. We've got two kids. They're being homeschooled right now. So the house is full of people. I think every room is taken. And I'm basically, you know, some packing to the bedroom. So that's where I'm calling you from. <laughs> I feel like a creeper because I follow your wife, Emma, on social media. So I want to say, like, if I had to choose a home to be quarantined in, I mean, that's not a bad place to be. <laughs> it's the best place to be. It's really it's a wonderful nice. place to be quarantined. I have, no, I have no complaints. Uh, I think LA in general is a great place to be right now. And because uh, we're not on top of each other, like in London, where I used to live. So it's, yeah, it's a great place to be. It's like being in the countryside, but you're in the middle of the city. So. Oh my gosh. Nice. You can get some fresh air, get out a bit. Yeah. I, I try to do a lot of calls outside. I set up camp outside normally. Nice. So what is your day-to-day? -day? You get up. Right now it's 10 o'clock your time, 10, 10 <laughs> Uh Yeah. Is it business as usual in terms of your schedule and calls, maybe things that move to Zoom? How would you describe kind of the shift in the day-to-day? -day? My day is it's, it's schedule, schedule, schedule. It hasn't changed much. Yeah. I get up just before 6 a.m. and I make myself a coffee. Before I have coffee, I'm not functioning. Same. I'm not even speaking. And then it's flicking between CNBC and MSNBC for a good 30, 40 minutes until the stock market open. And I catch up on my emails and text messages and Instagram. I read the news. Um, I might be checking a little bit how the stocks are doing. So one day it's like, oh, it's great. The next day it's like, oh, no, it's terrible. The next day it's, oh, it's great. That kind of sets the, <laughs> sets the pace for the day. Uh, and then I hit the gym at seven to eight and eight to nine. I'm with my kids. We have breakfast. I get ready. And my call starts at 9 a.m. And I usually tend to spend my day on the phone yeah. until about four or 4.30 and I go for a walk. And uh, then it's the bedtime routine with the kids. And seven, I eat dinner, eight, I do my emails again at 9, 9.30. I watch one show and I go to bed. You've made a routine out of it. I mean, it sounds like you're you've made, you're holding it down. Uh, where is your team? Are they typically based also in LA? Um, and I mean, have you made any shifts? What's going on right now with your team? Yeah, I mean, we are in an industry where it actually, for most roles, it's pretty easy to telework and work from home. And I have been shocked just how well everyone's been been handling it. I'm not saying they've been handling it well personally. This is an unbelievably stressful time in most people's lives. 
and it's not easy to to combine school school for your kids if you have kids with work as I'm sure a lot of um, your friends can attest to it, it that's tough for most parents right uh, not to mention the anxiety of, of of what's happening and 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 fears for our and you know the health of our loved ones so putting that aside I am actually uh, so positively surprised by the productivity of everyone uh, yeah. around me. It really worked well. However, we are in the fashion industry. So photo shoots, working with clothes, feeling material, fittings, that has been very and will remain very challenging. Definitely. Have you been able to stick to the usual schedule and maybe you've just... Um done photo shoots in another way, maybe through um, influencers? Are you still designing collections on schedule? How has the schedule shift shifted? That's right. We are designing uh, on schedule. We are um, conducting virtual fittings. Uh, we have been producing content, working with content creators. Uh, there's a few wonderful couples out there where um, one is a photographer and the other is a model and We've been able to work with a few wonderful couples out there to produce content for us um, and shoots. Uh, but it's compromised. Of course, it's compromised. But I don't think that this is a time to complain too much about that. Yeah. I think, you know, I'm, I'm just happy that everyone is doing what they can do and everyone's doing their part and we have a great team. Um, we're trying to make beautiful clothes and, and eventually, of course, uh, the restrictions will be lifted. We will feel more comfortable going back to workplaces. Here in California, phase two of reopening, which is starting Friday, um, will allow people that cannot perform their work over, you know, remotely um, to go into the office. So I think over the next two to four weeks, hopefully we will feel comfortable enough to 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 kind of engage a little bit more with the fabrics and the fittings than we what we're currently doing. That's really what's missing. The rest of it is yeah. fine. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, are you are there gonna be some strict guidelines? Have you, do you know yet what that kind of phase one of opening the office or the headquarters is gonna look like? Yeah, roughly. I think we have to operate on less than 50% capacity. Uh, we've got to make sure people have adequate distance between their desks. We will have a heat thermometer when you enter our office or offices, should I say. Yeah. Um, we'll provide, you know, we'll take everyone's temperature every day. Um, of course, sick leave for anyone who feels any kind of symptoms. And uh, supplying our, our, um, our employees with the right protective equipment to, to, feel, to feel safe. Right. But it's... Um, I was listening to Mark Cuban yesterday and he re he spoke about America 2.0 and I think that's what's going to happen it's not about returning to normalcy so so to speak yeah how are we going to be working going forward and the silver lining to remote work is that I think we will be must much much less uh precious about where we perform our work Yep. giving our employees greater flexibility than we did in the past. Yes, really eye-opening, right? I know that um, maybe, was it at the, um, only 50% of your employees based in LA? Um, you've kind of been international for a bit, is that correct? That's right, yeah. Well, we started the company when we lived in London, Eric and I. Got it. And uh, so 
it was always kind of dual headquarters, one office in London, one in Los Angeles. And as the company grew, we had a need to have showrooms, communications, all the revenue functions in New York. So I guess we became all kind of free headquarters. Yes. So design and finance and more the administrative side, production is here in Los Angeles. Sales communications is based in New York. And uh, and international functions are based out of London. Got it. What's your kind of communications channel of choice? Have you always used Zoom? Are you on Microsoft Teams? I'm hearing a lot from fashion brands. I'm a Zoom guy. Yeah. I'm involved in a few companies that are Ring Central guys. And I have to say, I'm I'm, I'm Zoom all the way. (laughs) Well, I'm happy we're here. (laughs) I had no idea. (laughs) My... um, that's my, you know, that's what I'm affiliated to. That's that's my that's my crew. Right on. The good news with having free headquarters is that we were already accustomed to working over the phone uh, a lot. You know, our daily calls and meetings always uh, contain people who are in different locations. So perhaps we had a head start. Yes. Definitely. Let's dig into um, your, so your um, headquarters is opening. Definitely want to talk about stores reopening. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last time I, I, maybe the only time we ever met in person was back in 2018 at your Soho store. Um, it was a, it was in a big, I felt like it was a big growth period. And tell me if I'm wrong. You had just op- um, launched handbags, I think. I think you had just launched your um magazine, which to me, it was not a magazine. It was like this beautiful art book, coffee table book. Oh, it was gorgeous. But um, was that kind of a pivot, pivotal moment? First of all, let's go there um, for the brand kind of moving on from denim. Um, or was this kind of always the the process the the plan? I think it's always the process. I mean, when we started the company, Eric and I didn't have a huge plan. We were engaged really in other careers in the fashion industry and Frame was a passion project. It was a side hustle, which is wild. <laughs> it was a side hustle. It was a side hustle that took off. Yep. And, and as it did, as we are creatives, if you're doing a pair of jeans, you tend to want to do the other items you are wearing and accessorized with. You don't want to stop at one item. You want to create a look. Yes. So we started with our shirting, I think, only a year after we started jeans. And after shirts followed tees. And after that followed sweaters and uh, and jackets and suiting. And, and I don't even know how this happened. Sometimes, uh, you know, I, I blink and I think, how the hell did this happen? You know, it, it, it was certainly wasn't the plan, but it became our reality. Yep, definitely. And you're still growing, growing, growing. So that's Soho Store. Was that an early store? How many how many stores do you have now? So right now we have 10 stores and we had plans to open another five stores in the last three months. Got it. Needless to say, um, those stores have been delayed. Yes. Are they mid-construction? Are they, are they in process? Some of them are mid-construction. Yes. The next opening we will have is, let me think, we have Boston, Chicago, Meatpacking in New York City, uh, Madison, and Austin, Texas, and London. Got it. Those six stores are coming this year. Got it. And you're opening where your customer is. Is that that the routine? Yeah, we open where our customers live. Yep. And I'm actually very bullish on our retail strategy right now. We tend to open stores in the best neighborhoods in the United States. Yep. I think as the economy returns and as we feel increasingly confident to go out, 
Personally, I feel better about going to Melrose Place than taking the subway to Midtown Manhattan. Yes. I feel better to going to, you know, Greenwich Avenue in Greenwich or uh, Fillmore Street in, in San Francisco and Highland Park in Dallas and so forth. So I think we, our stores is in the, you know, where, where you want to be, where you feel comfortable in you, in your neighborhood. Uh, it's, it's, it's intimate. It's not crowded um, and easily accessible. So Yes. Yeah, I'm, 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 I feel very confident about a store strategy right now. So you want to continue to roll out stores. Will you continue? Will you change how you, um, I would say, design stores? Are you do you plan to make them maybe more roomy, maybe less clothes in, in a store, give people more <laughs> distance? Anyway, what's the plan? Is there a change there? Well, I think there, I think there will be. Uh, first of all, we're going to make sure that customers feel comfortable going shopping. Yes. So let's say a phase one is to step up, step up, of course, cleaning. Um, we're going to have, let's say, 25% capacity in the stores, making sure that if a customer comes and try on clothes or touches rails, any common surfaces, that they're handled between every fitting. Yes. Um, that our store, um, you know, that our associates wear protective masks. Um, and that masks are given to anyone that comes into our stores to go shopping too. So first of all, it's about making this, let's say, this interim period feel more secure. Um, yeah, feel more secure. Our safety for our employees and our customers are, is and has to be everyone's top priority right now. Uh, long term, we don't know anything about the long term. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's for sure. But the plan for opening, has it maybe gone, you're going to run with the five that are in process. Are you going to run with five more by the end of the year? Yeah, I, I hope. Well, I don't think we have time to open another five this year. True. And if you wanted to open 10 stores this year, that's right. So that is probably going to be delayed. Yes. But if we can open another 10 stores next year, 10 to 15 stores, I think that would be, I think that would be great. You know, at the end of the day, most of us want to get out of the house. True. <laughs> we don't just shop because it's a necessity to own. We shop because how it makes us feel, how close makes us feel. And the experience of going shopping with friends, I don't think is going anywhere. Yes. It's on pause right now. But personally, I can't wait for the moment where I feel safe enough to go shopping, where I feel safe enough to eat in a restaurant, and when I feel safe enough to travel. Yes. Just currently, I don't. So when you feel safe, will you go to uh, brand brands own stores, a brand stores? Will you go to department stores? You obviously still believe in um, your own stores. You believe in um, multi-brand retailers, the big guys still. Because I know you had a kind of a wide net out there. <laughs> yeah, Frame is very well distributed through all the major American department stores and, and through pretty much every major international department store too around the world. I, I think the same thing as I always have done about multi-brand retail. Great stores that offers a great experience uh, is fun. And things that are fun, we tend to do. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I, I really feel that many department stores lost their way. They became overly promotional, too much merchandise, not enough experience. Um, hard to navigate. Yes. You know, our attention spans got so short 
uh, in this era of social media that plowing through racks and racks and racks on big expansive department store floors felt antiquated. Absolutely. But I love, for example, what Nordstrom did on uh, in Midtown Manhattan. I think that is an unbelievable store, an unbelievable experience. And I would say the same thing about Selfridges in London or Harrods or Lane Crawford in Hong Kong or Isatan in Tokyo. Great stores that offers a great experience. I, I, I think they're here to stay. I'm glad you named those examples. I was going to put you on the spot. But tell me about um, like a Neiman Marcus. Like obviously there's much talk about, you know, on the brink of bankruptcy, everybody has extended their payment terms to like 120 days. Do you feel comfortable like shipping them a bunch of merchandise, selling them, um, you know, orders as usual? Or I don't know, will be there, there be some hesitancy for a guy like that? Oh, yeah. Of, of course, everyone is a little bit hesitant. Um, you know, what we fashion companies do is that we ensure the credit risk. Mm -hmm. Working with intermediates such as CIT really takes the lion's share of the risk for selling nice. to a retailer. And it's not, um, it can happen with someone like Neiman Marcus that at times they have lost their credit worthiness. Yep. And, uh, but that, this is not the first time that has happened. It's happened a few times over the last few years. And when that happens, you just have to work on some kind of prepayment or a mix thereof or take the risk. Yeah. You know, ultimately, Neiman Marcus has been a great partner to Frame. And we wouldn't be a great partner to Neiman Marcus unless, um, you know, we were there to support them uh, when they need it. Because they were there yes. for us when we needed it. Yes. Um, you got to think about this a little bit more. I think about it a little bit more emotional. <laughs> That's awfully nice of you. <laughs> um, what percentage of your sales right now are through your own uh, website, direct to consumer on your e-commerce channel? Well, the most amazing thing is what's happened. Our e-commerce is up, I would say, close to 300% over the Great. last two months. Great. It's uh, really replaced all of our physical stores and yep. a little bit more than that. Oh, wow. That's great. It's been unbelievable. Has it made up for the wholesale sales? <laughs> Ouch. That's, that's, that would be almost impossible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. Unfortunately. But I'm very excited about some of the results coming out of the wholesale players right now. Their online sales, too, are up about 200% year on year. Got it. And in uh, Nordstrom and Neiman Marcus are particularly strong at the moment. The online yeah. channel has almost made up for physical retail sales. But remember, we make relatively casual clothes, jeans, blazers, T-shirts, yeah. um, um, and so forth. I think if you're in the handbag department, if you're in color cosmetics, if you're in footwear it's pro or suiting, it's probably more challenging. Yes. I was going to ask, even through your department store partners and through your own site, what is selling and what's working to drive those sales? Jeans are selling unbelievably well. Got it. Uh, Tees are selling very well. Um, anything kind of like, let's say, dressed down, but with a touch of chic. Got it. Structured pieces and dresses, much less so. Yes. What I do think summer dress is going to have a huge moment, though, come June. I mean, because <laughs> everybody wants to get out and, like, spin around. <laughs> well, I, I view the world through my own habits. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And after two weeks in quarantine, after being like in shock for two weeks, 
I, I saw all the sales going on and I thought this looks like a great opportunity to buy some stuff. I yes. bought a ton of stuff then I didn't buy so much for a while. Yes. Now we're getting closer to a point where we can get out and about a little bit more. Uh, stores are slowly reopening across the country. Um, you know, we're allowed to go hiking, going to the beach. And within the month or so, I'm sure we'll be seeing friends again. I've got nothing to wear. Troubled times. Yes. Troubled times. Um, and I think that most people will see that the, the, the deal they get out there right now is unbelievable. Yes. The discounts are unbelievable. Um, and I think like most people, when we've been holed up at home for a long time, we want to get out and we want to put our best foot forward. And, and I would think that if you're a girl, you would like to have a new dress come June, July. And uh, myself, I'm looking for a pair of shorts that, that hides my legs. <laughs> Good luck to you. <laughs> but tell me about leaning into the like the, the the available channels. I am I correct that you just launched on Tmall? Um, and was that kind of other 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 platforms that you're taking advantage of right now? Yeah, I as a company, I we've looked at this period in in let's say two to three phases. And the first phase, it's really about mitigation, yeah. really about mitigation. It was very painful, very, very painful. It's about shoring up our balance sheet, doing what's right, taking care of as many employees as we can take care of, and secure the company's future on the other side of this. Yep. We are very fortunate the frame was trending up for a long period of time before the crisis. So we are in the best possible situation coming out of the crisis. Yes. But it's not lost on me how this has affected so many lives of so many people that we know in the industry, not just great brands and companies, but um, a lot of people have lost their jobs in retail. And uh, we are very lucky to have ours. Yes. That's the, that's the overarching feeling right now. We're just feeling lucky and blessed that we have the opportunity to emerge from this mm -hmm. crisis as the country starts to open up. Yes. Can you tell me, were the cuts um, during that phase, was, most of them were like store employees? Who, what, what other cuts had to be made um, early on? Well, the first two weeks in, I would say, the mitigation phase, you're trying to put everything on pause. Right. Right. So you're trying to put construction processes on pause, lease negotiations. Um, you um, you try to put, you know, pause or cancel orders um, in a respectful manner to our suppliers. Yeah. We all have to remember that we have to work with them on the other side of this. Otherwise, yeah. we have no goods. So we've got to take care of them. True. But at the same time, we have to make sure we are not going to be left with too much inventory that we can't sell. Yep. Inventory more than anything, it was wrecks havoc in a fashion business. Yes. Right now are the sale you you have a sample sale going on. I know you've got like a 25% off sale going on. Tell me about um how you're dealing with inventory if you've done sales in the past. Uh what what that approach has been like. So the, the reaction to the sale currently going on is the best reaction we ever had. And the sample sale that we just had, I think, 
beat our estimates with 300%. Nice. Probably six times bigger than any sample sale we ever had. The numbers awesome. were uh, really unbelievable. We're very, very happy with, with, with the result of that. In terms of the promotional calendar, we don't have any choice what to do. We have to follow what everyone else, is, else do. Yes. So if the department stores are running 25% off and let's say we just say no, that just means we're not moving through any inventory. Because they'll go to the competitor instead. Of course. I mean, yes. I'm sure you do. I do. I, yeah. I price, price match what I buy. Totally. I, I have no interest of paying too much for something. Yeah. And so if I don't want to do it, I certainly don't expect my customer to be paying too much. Right. So we have no we have no choice but to follow the promotional calendar of of the bigger companies and the bigger retailers. Yeah, that makes sense. Jens, tell me. I think that um, going into the year, maybe a while back, you were projecting. I mean, I think it was one seventy million in sales, which is a big fat number. Um, can you tell me about how projections have changed? If you're able to project project what this year is going to look like, um, yeah. How projections have changed overall? Projections. <laughs> well, they, they, they have moved substantially. Yep. I think it's safe to say for most companies that they should be revised down by around 30% or so. Yep. I would think that's a, a fair estimation of where we will land. That's why it's so unbelievably important. And I don't know if anyone else is running a fashion business or have a startup or um, that that's listening in today. But I would really say that most people tend to overestimate how much money they will make mm -hmm. and they underestimate how long time it takes to make savings. And when those two things don't add up, it spells disaster. And at frame, we took decisive action very early going back to February. We felt very uneasy about what was happening in China. We have a very good Asian business. When we had the first case of community spread in California, which was around February 29th, but don't quote me if it was 8, 9, or, or 30th, um, at that point, what was going to happen was pretty clear because the curve everywhere else at that point had only gone one way. Yep. And I was very, very happy that we took some decisive action. Um, it also coincided with Nicholas Dreyfus joining us as CEO is the former CEO of the Coupos. And he had lived through a similar moment in time after the terrorist attacks in Paris, where he had to shut all the retail in Paris and France for about a month. Oh, so wow. he understood what to do. And I would say, it really, it's, it's to his credit, the action that he took and, and that he helped coach us through, I would say, the early stages um, uh, of this crisis. Yeah. Is there anything that you would have done maybe before, um, had he not been there or even before the crisis, maybe to better prepare yourself for something that, you know, you never saw coming, but if this, you know, had to do it all over, what would you have done differently? I don't know if I would have done anything differently through the last eight weeks. Yeah. I think I would have done differently last year. Yes. And the year before. Yes. You know, I think that as most companies and as most people, we have things on our to-do list we never quite get to do. You know, we never really get to it. And it's often the most difficult things to deal with. So I wish I had dealt with some, you know, some of the stuff at the bottom of the to-do list that I never got around to do. Yes. 
are they what area are they in is that in community building is that in what area (laughs) be specific Jens (laughs) I will be um yeah I think it's I'm pausing because I you know I'm trying to be you know constructive and not too specific to frames business okay necessarily um I wish that we had focused more on retail earlier. I wish we had invested, um, yeah, in, in, in our own D2C channel to a higher degree at an earlier time than we did it. And I'm not talking about maybe 2019. I'm talking about 2017 and 16. Yeah. Times were very good in wholesale. Too good, in fact. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we didn't have to have the challenges of finding distribution that many other brands kind of fought with. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I wish we had invested uh, more earlier. And it's easy to say. Uh, but I think that we felt it at the time and never got around to do it. Yeah. You know, um, and also because I'm involved in other companies, yeah. personally, as an investor within the D2C world, such as Skims and Good American. And I could, it was such a clear, it was such a clear difference in behavior, in digital behavior between the different businesses, yet we never got around to really do it. So I would say that's probably my one thing. And the other thing I I, I really would like to have done differently is I would have, I would have carried less inventory. A lot of brands produce too much inventory and we carry inventory because we don't want to lose out on a sale. Yes. We don't exactly know what the customer will be excited about. So we have to carry more inventory so we don't lose the customer when she's willing to buy. And I think on the other side of this crisis, there will be, um, I think all fashion brands have to carry less inventory. For that to be possible, we have to be able to turn inventory faster than we've done in the past. For that to be possible, we have to bring back manufacturing to the United States. That is the long and the short of it. Yes. Currently, we are lacking the manufacturing capacity to make ready-to-wear in the United States. And if, we are, if we're going to reduce our inventory, speed up our turn, deliver better fashion, protect jobs, um, we have to bring back manufacturing to the United States. Right on. I like that. Thank you for being so open and honest. This has been so good. Um, let's turn it over. Um, We've got some questions here. Uh, there's one. It says, when are you opening stores in Euro- Europe? Are stores in Europe to come? Oh, yeah. So London will be our first store. And we were planning to open in September. And unfortunately, that might be February now. Okay, great. So they are coming. For sure. And and hopefully London will be first. I think we can have two or three stores in London over the next year or so. And, and France is probably second on the list right now. Exciting. And how do, oops, I'm a, I'm a bad multitasker. I will talk to you and read questions. Um, <laughs> um, how do you envision personalization and clienteling tools um, to play a role in this new world? Personalization, clienteling. That's a really great, really great question. So what I would say is that in our boutique locations like Melrose Place, Green Street, Fillmore, Highland Park, Miami, and so forth, Clienteling is already almost 25 to 30% of our business pre-crisis. Got it. Working directly with our top customers and stylists, 
uh, and celebrities is a part of what we do already. What we have done during this period in time, as we close our stores, is to let our unbelievable, they're unbelievable, our store managers, to work with us, to reach out to their clients and continue to do clienteling and support our e-commerce team. And it's been an invaluable addition to what we do. And I think on the other side of this crisis, that's not something we're going to stop doing. Yeah. I think we're going to step up efforts um, to communicate directly with our top ca- clients. And I'm not talking about a top couple of hundred, but the top thousands. Yes. And be able to service them directly, uh, giving them the ability to try on entire collections at home, um, consign goods, and so forth. I, I really think that the store isn't just a, a store for people to work to walk into. It should be a fulfillment center. It should be somewhere we can return goods easily. It should be a it should be a embassy of the brand in that city. <laughs> <laughs> there is our title. Stores will be <laughs> the embassy of brands. I love that. That's probably what they should be, meaning they should yeah. work actively within their communities. And some of the things that I'm most proud of that we have done has been around the stores and making the stores a part of the community. If it's using the store for charitable events, if it means people can drop off any clothes, not just frame clothes there that we use for making insulation for low-income homes, if it's uh, book launches or even press days when I get to see you. Yes. Stores should be a part of its community. Absolutely. I mean, is LA a unique beast in in terms of... um, dressing or working you mentioned celebrities I know that I discovered frame probably through seeing it on like it girl Rosie Huntington Whiteley Whiteley <laughs> um, but yeah is that still a big piece of the pie working with influencers working with these um, it girls getting the clothes on them yeah yeah absolutely yeah. and it's I mean it goes two ways we started doing frame to dress the people that surrounds us and people that inspire us so to dress some of the people you just mentioned is a privilege. It's exciting. We love their feedback and we want them to wear what we do. If they don't want to wear what we do, then we're not doing it right. Yes. So that's an incredibly important part of what we do just in the creative process of making, uh, of making clothes and accessories and, and soon shoes. It's also a way for us to show you what we do. And we're not living in a world where traditional advertising is particularly effective. Yes. Unless it's very self-driven performance marketing. But general brand advertising isn't necessarily effective and it will not make you as a customer discover or necessarily change your mind about a brand. So it's one of the few tools that we have today to show you what we do. Yep. Is it digital advertising now? That's where the spend is going. What's, where are you advertising now? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yep, Instagram, Facebook. Instagram, Facebook. I'm particularly excited about YouTube right now. Yeah. And I'm getting very excited about TikTok. I think TikTok has changed as a platform in the last two months. Yes. Two, three months ago, it was just a bunch of, you know, high school kids doing dances. So maybe less for me. Yes, (laughs) less for me. Not just because I'm 42, but also because (laughs) I'm a terrible dancer. (laughs) Like the worst. I have zero sense of rhythm. I feel like that would like 
be that would be better on TikTok. Nobody wants to see this awesome dancer. <laughs> Makes us feel bad. <laughs> it, it, it will be relatable content. Yes. Very relatable. Um, no, but I'm excited on advertising on those platforms. I think in the last two months, as we have looked for more content and more ways to entertain ourselves, TikTok has grown up. Yes. And uh, it's almost like the new Instagram stories. Yes. So I'm excited about that medium. I still think it gives brands some value for money to put money in TikTok. And, and the same thing about YouTube. YouTube is one of the few ad formats you can't swipe past. Yes. So you have five good seconds to put your best foot forward. Yes. So are you considering those two channels or have you already invested? We already invest and we will we will step that up dramatically okay. in the next few months. Great. I'll take one last question. Um, what We asked folks who are coming to this um, to submit questions ahead of time. And somebody asked whether you were um, changing your return policy as returns become so uh, complicated right now. Have you kind of expanded that? Have returns online um, changed? Yeah, we, we're, we're most likely extending the, cool. uh, the return window. Great. But to be honest with you, if someone forgets to return something and they discover that a week after, we tend to help them out. Yeah. We did that before, uh, as long as I can remember, we do that. I think it's just bad business not to take care of your customer. Yes, totally. And then last question for me, and we will let you go. Um, like you said, you have your hands in many businesses. It's not frame 100%. Um, you know, when it becomes, I would say, when there's money to invest, maybe if not now, um, what's worthy of your investment? Is You're investing, do I, am I right? Maybe a strategic investor in Good American, in Skims, um, some of these very buzzy brands. Obviously, you're married <laughs> to Emma, which works out well. But um, what's worthy of your investment? So... That's that's very good question. That's a question I'm spending a, a, a lot a lot of time on right now. Yes. My mentor Andrew Rosen said to me once that America is not so much about fashion as it is about ideas, and I think that's a great truth. And if you think about, um, you know, Nike or even um, or Lululemon or Ralph Lauren, they are ideas. Yes. You know. And the ideas of product, if it's, you know, the Air Max or the polo shirt. Um, so when I look at fashion today, I really like to see a, a phenomenal product, a, a, a competitive difference in the product itself. I think that's more investable necessarily than creating collections. Yes. Because creating full collections is a form of art. And you can invest in it because you love it. Yes. But don't invest in it because you think you're going to make a ton of money. Yeah, right. I, you know, the fashion industry as a whole is an art and commerce together. And uh, there's, there's a fine line between the two, obviously. But for me, what I look at going into this is, yeah, what, what is your product idea that sets you apart? And with Skims, Kim and I spent probably over two years developing fabrications that were simply not available anywhere else in the market. And it took a very long time to develop those fabrications and even longer to get them at the price where they're affordable to everyone. So I felt when Skims launched, of course it's her celebrity, 
it looks really cool. I love everything about it. But at the heart of it, it's a product that is not easy to replicate. Yes. Which, at the, which is the same if you look at a great company like Lululemon. At the heart of Lululemon is a set of fabrics. They're not easily replicable. That makes sense. I lied. One more question. I'm sorry I could talk to you all day, but um, is it also um, is it also necessary that the brand has kind of a built-in community? It just what you're saying also are the brands that you're investing in. It reminds me of like what um, Matt and Nadam says, where um, you know he starts brands with influencers or designers that already had a following. Is that following um, right off the bat? I mean, that's very valuable. Is that necessary? I think authenticity is necessary. Got it. Authenticity is not just necessary, it's crucial. Yep. I think customers can smell BS. They can smell when they're being marketed to. Totally. And this is frustrating apparel brands, especially the large big brands, for the past 10 years and increasingly so over the last few years. They simply cannot connect with customers anymore because com- customers are not open to connect with a brand because who are they connecting with? Yeah. I had one of those moments um, when I was recycling a Diet Coke can at my house, Diet Coke. I put it in the wrong um, trash can, not in the recycling can. So, and then I went back and I put it from, you know, I took it and I put it in the right bin. The point of the story is I realized in that moment, here I am as an individual spending so much effort into where I'm putting this can. How many millions of gallons of water is used in the textile manufacturing process of making our clothes. Doesn't a company have to reflect the values of us as people? And in that moment, I have kind of dedicated myself to slowly but surely chipping away at that corporate veil between consumer and brand. Because frame is just a collection of people here in California, in New York, in London, a group of people who wants to make wonderfully chic, everyday clothes. And we want you to love them. And we want to make them in the most sustainable way that we can. And we want to move to do that as quickly as we possibly can. And we want to sell it to you the way you want to buy it. And if we stop thinking as a company and start thinking as people, it's not that complicated. Yeah. Ultimately, do this for ourselves. If we want to buy what we make, and if we want to buy it the way we sell it, we're probably onto something. Right. The few things that we have gone very wrong a few years ago, and if anyone from my office is watching this, they will laugh me out of the room. <laughs> we didn't have a good trend one month. We were like, what the hell are we going to do? I think it was April or something. So we designed jeans with a scallop hem. Great. Identifiable. People will recognize Instagram. It looks really good on paper. The jeans came out. They were horrible. <laughs> like a, a scallop, like dip? On the waistband. It was awful. <laughs> and of course, no one wanted to buy the scallop hem. The scallop hem piled up in our warehouses. Aww. And four or five, six months later, we probably try to sell it to off price. They didn't want the damn scallop hem. <laughs> no one wants the scallop. And I said to everyone in our uh, weekly leadership meeting, I said, we should have, we should have worried. Because no, I have not seen one person at our company, out of the hundreds of people that work here, has worn the scallop hem. 
What a bust. That's unfortunate. What happened to those jeans? <laughs> I will wear the scallop. <laughs> they have become insulation for homes. Ah, <laughs> it's really sad. It was a nice try. Maybe it worked out for the best. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my top tip. Create things you want to wear or you want to see people wearing. Don't yes. create things that are ideas. Takeaway of the day. Awesome. Well, Jens, you're an awesome interview. This has been so, so great. Thank you for being here. Thanks for your time. And Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. That's all for this episode, which was produced by Pierre Bienname. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Don't forget that we're offering Glossy Podcast listeners 20% off an annual Glossy Plus membership, giving you unlimited access to fashion and beauty stories. Use the code podcast at checkout. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week.